Hey, good morning. Hey, it's Thanksgiving week. Are you thankful this morning? Amen? Are you thankful? Uh, what a, a blessed time this morning already to sing, to worship, uh, great songs, great time to just lift up our praise and thanksgiving to God. Every week we get to do this, to praise God. It's, it's an amazing thing. We're grateful for that. Uh, because we are a thankful people, we are here on the week of Thanksgiving. So, um, Christmas music before Thanksgiving. One, two, three. Shayla, don't get me started. Who says um, people that play Christmas music before Thanksgiving um, should probably be incarcerated? Wow, that's a lot. That's a overwhelming majority. We are a thankful people, and I'm grateful that we have a national holiday to stop and to give thanks. It's an important thing. Um, as believers, we should be some of the most thankful people on the planet. Amen? Wow, that we are believers in Jesus, and by nature being a believer in Jesus, uh, we've been saved, as we just sang, from the penalty and the consequence of our sins forever. All of our sin has been forgiven. Amen? We should be thankful for that, right? We have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. God is with us all the time, continually, never leaves us. Amen? Aren't you thankful for that? Wow. Uh, we also have an eternity to look forward to where we get to spend forever with God. Amen? I mean, who, who wouldn't be appreciative and grateful for that? These are truths that, that, that are true of us as believers in Jesus Christ. We should be some of the most thankful people on the planet. Oh, but we are a forgetful people, are we not? Though the benefits and blessings of, of knowing God and being a child of God are really too many to count, we still spend most of our lives taking all of those benefits and blessings for granted, do we not? But we're not the first ones to live in such a way. Uh, the nation of Israel was also a forgetful people. You know, one of God's purposes for the nation of Israel was to teach other nations of the world through the nation of Israel about himself, about God, the type of God that he is, the way that he works in his people, the way he works in the world. And so Israel was to reflect God to the nations around them. You know, the Apostle Paul wrote to the Corinthian church, and he said something interesting about the nation of Israel in 1 Corinthians 10, 11. He says, now these things happened to them, this nation, as an example, and they were written for our instruction upon whom the ends of the ages have come. And what I think God is saying there, and Paul writing to the Corinthians telling them that uh, there are lessons to be learned from the accounts of God's dealings with Israel. And I think that's a, a big part of why we have the Old Testament. We don't always directly apply promises to the nation of Israel to us as believers today. We understand that. We uh, see a, a, um, a difference between the nation of Israel and the church today. However, there's still a lot that we can learn from them about God, about how He works 
Deuteronomy chapter 8 is one such occasion. We're going to take the next couple weeks to focus on how we ought to be thankful for the things that God has done in our lives. We just sang about that. It's a great, great song. Jairus does such a great job of matching up the, the songs with uh, the passage and the theme for this morning, and today's no different. So if you're not already there, turn to Deuteronomy chapter 8 with me. Uh, and though we don't apply every promise that God made to Israel, there is still a question we need to ask ourselves, and is have we learned from Israel? Do we learn from history? History has a uh, way of repeating itself, right, as we say. But have we learned from the accounts of Israel? Deuteronomy chapter 8 is the account of the nation of Israel preparing to enter into the promised land of God, the land of Canaan. God promised this land to this nation sometime before. But now they are about to enter this land. And if you recall, Moses led two to three million people out of slavery and bondage in, in Egypt into, was leading them to the promised land, but through the wilderness. If you recall that occasion, 400 years they were enslaved in Egypt. And God performed some outstanding, amazing miracles in their lives. Do you recall that? God freed them from slavery. That was a miracle in itself. That they were in bondage for 400 years and God freed them. And if you recall, he used Moses to lead them out. But the Egyptian army pursued them when they left. Guess what God did? God spared them. He saved them from the Egyptian army. God opened up the Red Sea for this nation. Two to three million people walked across the Red Sea on dry ground. Not soggy, not muddy, dry ground. Uh, if you recall that account, I mean, God continued to work in them and through them. He closed the Red Sea on the Egyptian army and killed them all, sparing Israel. He led them around for the next years, uh, a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. That's pretty miraculous, right? Wouldn't you be like, wow, God's amazing if you saw that. <clears throat> so many miracles, in fact, that we often think to ourselves, had I been there and seen what the Israelites had saw or seen, terrible English grammar, just go with it. Anyway, if I were there and I saw all the works that God had done like that, man, I wouldn't have worshipped that golden calf at the foot of Mount Sinai, right? I wouldn't have been those people. I wouldn't have grumbled against God in the wilderness. I would have remembered all these amazing things God did. I wouldn't have been part of the complaining. I wouldn't have questioned Moses' leadership like the Israelites did if I'd seen all the wonderful things that God had done. Oh, but is that true? Here in Deuteronomy chapter 8, we find the nation of Israel preparing to enter the promised land after 40 years of wandering around in a desert. And Moses here is reminding them of where God had brought them and the commandments the Lord had given them to obey. Why? Why was Moses standing now before this nation and reminding them 40 years later, of the works of God in their life and in their nation. <clears throat> because they were in danger of forgetting. Believe it or not, 
they were in danger of forgetting the mighty works of God. Because that's just the kind of people we all are, if we're honest. We're a forgetful people. We're prone to wander, right? We're prone to forget no, how, no matter how much stimuli God has given us throughout the years of our life with him. You could even say we just aren't in awe of God like we once were. Because it's not always easy to remain in awe of God. You know, just two points over the next couple of weeks. I want to share just one point with you this morning, and then we'll uh, finish the second point next week. But just one point this morning I want to share with you. It's in your bulletin there. The danger that Israel faced and that I think we all face by way of application is there's a danger for getting God's past deliverances in the hard times of life. Wow, that's a, that's a long point. I hope I can remember it. But there is a danger of forgetting God's past deliverances in the hard times of life. Why does God allow hard times in our life? Why does he allow difficulties to come into our life? You know, I think for some people this past uh, year has been one of the most difficult ever. I know that's true for my family and I. This has been one of the most difficult seasons of our life. Mainly because of you people. No, I'm kidding. That, I, that's a joke. That was not a funny joke. I take that back. No, it's been a blessing because of you, but because of the hardships that we face coming and, and coming here, not knowing what was ahead of us, coming to Burleson, Texas, and, and being blessed to be part of a church family like this, we, uh, we didn't know what was in store, and it's been one of the hardest times in our life because my wife, as most of you know, was diagnosed with cancer shortly after we got here. You know, I thought for sure 2019 was the most difficult year for me on, on uh, record, at least in my mind in 2019 as I was experiencing it, because my father passed away in 2019 after a 15-year battle with cancer. My uh, best friend from childhood, Dave Metzger, just a great buddy, we were childhood friends, Spent a lot of time together. He also passed away in 2019 of Huntington's disease. It's a debilitating disease that is not uh, fun at all to watch someone go through. And then uh, even after that, we uh, had to put our, our oldest dog, Boomer, down. You ever had to put an animal down that you've had for years? That's like losing a family member, isn't it? It's hard times. And so by the, time, by the end of 2019, guys, I mean... It just seemed like wave after wave of just hardship, father passing, friend passing, dog passing. Uh, the Colts were terrible. A um, lot of stuff that you experience. And uh, I thought, man, this is the worst year. I can't wait for 2020. <laughs> Woo! And then 2020 shows up, right? By the end of 2019, by the way, and I think I've mentioned this before, I, I, I know I'm, I'm kind of kid, but it was, it was really a dark time. So dark, and, and, and I, I, there was a lot of spiritual opposition that surrounded all these events. I don't know if you've experienced that in your life, but by the end of 2019, I think it was October-ish, uh, I had to go to our, our elders and I said, guys, listen, um, I got to get, get, take a break. I need to get out of here. Um, I need to... I, I need to restore my soul. 
Because if I don't get away and spend some time with God and restore my soul, I'm not going to be able to do this anymore. You ever been to a place like that where it's, there's so many hardships and they're so difficult and they just keep coming and you think, God, where are you? What's this all about? That's where I was in 2019. 2020 came then. And then COVID comes. And so that's probably the hardest year on, on record for a lot of the world, really. There's a lot of hardships as a result of COVID-19, right? Families were divided. Uh, jobs were lost. Lives were lost. Churches closed left and right for obvious reasons. And if they did stay open, guess what? A lot of churches were divided over the issues related to COVID, right? It was estimated before COVID that some 8,000 churches closed every year. But then Barna did some uh, research. According to the data collected in April and May of, of 2020 by Barna Group, one in three participating Christians dropped out of church completely at the beginning of COVID-19. One in three a third dropped out of going to church. And then they said church membership in the U.S. dropped below 50% for the first time in 2020, according to a Ga the Gallup data dating back to 1940. So 2020 was a dumpster fire, right? Well, I've got, I have a Christmas ornament that has a coronavirus on it. And it says, well, that was, you know, terrible year or whatever. You probably got a dumpster fire sticker somewhere or a decal or an ornament. You could say it's somewhat of a, a wilderness experience, if you will, for a lot of people. Every time we experience real hardship, we think it's the most difficult time we've ever had until the next time comes, right? But, you know... Maybe you don't always know why you're going through a difficulty, a hard time, but you know there's always a lesson to learn. There's always a reason or a purpose through the hard times and the suffering of life. I don't remember where I heard this, and I think I've mentioned it before, but this, this phrase, God never wastes pain. I like that. God never wastes pain. Because there is always a purpose, a reason for the suffering and the hardship. Maybe we won't find out what that purpose is this side of heaven. But one day we will. I promise you that. God will let us know. We will know then. But though we don't always know the why in the hard times of life, I want to draw from a passage this morning three ways that God wanted to use the hard times through the wilderness of the life of Israel to see what they experienced and how we might apply what they went through to ourselves. So Deuteronomy chapter 8, let's go through and just read. Um, I'm just going to read the first uh, six, seven verses this morning for the sake of time, and then we'll uh, dive in. All the commandments that I am commanding you today, you shall be careful to do, that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land which the Lord swore to give to your forefathers. You shall remember all the way which the Lord God has led you in the wilderness these 40 years, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. 
He humbled you and let you be hungry and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you understand that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by everything that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord. Your clothing did not wear on, out on you, nor did your foot swell these 40 years. Thus you are to know in your heart that the Lord your God was disciplining you, just as a man disciplines his son. Therefore, you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God to walk in his ways and to fear him. God, this is, uh, you're the God that we're praying to. The same God who spoke these words through Moses to your people. You're speaking to us today through your word. Your word is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword as your word sets. And you want to you um, discern and, and pierce us, Lord, with truth today to, to show us some things about you. My prayer is for all of us that are listening today that we would say, Lord, what is it that you want to tell me? What is it you want to show me? Because I need to hear from you. Thank you, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, three lessons that God had for Israel in the time we have this morning through the hard times that they experienced. Number one is he wanted to teach them obedience. God wanted to teach the nation of Israel, his people, to obey. Verses 1 and 2 tell us that because he says, Be careful to follow every command I'm giving you today so that you can live and increase and may enter the possess and possess the land that the Lord promised on an oath to your ancestors, and you shall remember all the ways in which the Lord your God has led you in, in the wilderness these 40 years in order to humble you, putting you to the test to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. Obey and remember. The Hebrew meaning of the word remember is to intentionally recall past information or events. You have to intentionally bring to remembrance, to recall these things. And so Moses is telling the entire nation to recall the past times when God miraculously intervened in their life and in their ancestors' lives over the past 40 years. And there were a lot of occasions. There were a lot of ways that God worked in their lives. When Moses said that God tested the Israelites to see what was in their heart, he was using what is called an anthropomorphism. That's a big word. But it means simply to ascribe human characteristics to God. Follow me on this. God is not human. God is not limited with a finite mind. He forgets nothing. He knows all things. He's omniscient. The point is, is that God didn't test Israel to somehow learn what was in their hearts. He already knew what was in their hearts. He was testing them to watch to see whether they would keep His commandments or not. He already knew what was in their hearts. He was giving them an opportunity to either obey or disobey what he had told them. 
And so their obedience or their disobedience had to be demonstrated in history. And we have the account of that. Because it's only through obedience to what God has said, listen to this, it's only through obedience to what God has said that we really demonstrate our living faith in Him. Obedience demonstrates true faith. Does that make sense? How else will our obedience be proven? Doesn't James tell us in James that faith without works is dead? You know, King David once told his son Solomon this in 1 Chronicles 28, 9. He says, as for you, my son Solomon, know the God of your father. Serve him with a whole heart and a willing mind. Why? For the Lord searches all the hearts. He understands every intent of the thoughts. Wrap your mind around that. God knows our hearts and our thoughts. And so when God led the nation of Israel through the wilderness to wander for 40 years, it was for this very reason to teach them obedience and to humble them. You know, obedience really requires humility, doesn't it? They kind of go hand in hand. I think to to obey God from the heart means that I I recognize God's authority in my life. I recognize the authority God's Word has in my life. I'm not just reading the Bible for information. I'm reading the Bible to hear from God and what He's said of me and what He's told me to do. And God still, I think, works in the same way today. He knows what's in our hearts, but he's continually giving us opportunity through the hard times of life to humble ourselves and to to teach us. For me, it took many years of hard times and wandering before I was humbled and learned what obedience to God really looked like. As many of you know, I was a prodigal child throughout all of my teen years. I knew the Lord. I was a child of God, yet I was proud. I would get myself in trouble. I would do dumb things, get myself in trouble, sinful things. I would fail the test over and over. Even after being humbled through the consequences of my own actions... I still did not learn obedience. Have you been there? Even though you suffer because of decisions and and things that you do that you know are contrary to what God has said, and you suffer as a result, you still go back and do the same things. That's what I did. It was a cycle in my life. I had a hardened heart problem much like the nation of Israel did. And if I'm honest, it's still a cycle in my life. It's still a cycle. Uh, Why did Israel... uh, What were they thinking? For 40 years, they're, they're literally walking in circles in a desert 
What were they thinking those 40 years? Uh, what do they think it was all about? Where are, we, are we there yet? <laughs> Kids are like, are we there yet? No, about an hour. 40 years. Uh, to see if they had learned to obey the Lord. Parents, can you relate? Do your kids learn obedience the first time you tell them? That would be awesome, wouldn't it? Some kids never learn, right? They grow up to be disobedient adults. Some kids never. I remember a, a parenting series once that, that we went through, and their statement was made. One of, the mo one of the most important lessons that a child can learn while they're being raised in a Christian home is obedience. To learn to obey. Obey authority. Why? Because that's God's plan. That leads to, to blessing. But some, some people never learn. Kids, some kids never learn. They grow up to be adults, and they still are defiant. You see them on Burleson Residence Facebook page. Sorry, I say it every week. <laughs> You're going to hear that every week. Uh, right? You know, the adults that are just defiant, anti-authoritarian, you know, just... Uh, man, don't anyone tell me what to do. But you know, I, I've said this before as well. I think obedience is God's love language. You know the love languages, the ways that we communicate love to one another? It's a great book and it's a great concept, but I think obedience is God's love language. I think there's a, an intimacy, a closeness with God that a, that a believer can, can have that comes through obe obeying him. I think that's what Jesus was talking about in John, uh, I think it was 14, 21. There's a closeness with God that comes through obeying him. It's one thing to believe God and believe in God and have a, a childlike faith, but I think it's another to truly learn to live out what we know about God when everything else in life just is falling apart. When everything else in life doesn't make sense, to still obey and serve God is what I think brings joy to the heart of God. You know, the Apostle Paul wrote to the Philippian Christians in Philippians 2. He says, therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it's God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. God's the one that's working in us. And, and he says to work out our salvation. How do you work out your salvation? Well, you obey what God has said to do. And he says in that verse that God's working in your life, calling you to, to obedience, which they were doing, but it was to fulfill God's good purpose for your life. God told the Israelites to obey all that he's commanded them because he wants to take them to the promised land. He wasn't out for them. He wasn't trying to hurt them or harm them. He loved them. He had good things in store for them. Every time God calls us to obey him, it's for a good reason. It's for our good. It's for God's glory. It's always positive. And so when we fail to obey God... We're the ones that miss out. We are the ones that are missing out on the blessing. For the years that I, I knew what God wanted me to do, 
but I thought that my way of life was better. I thought it's more fulfilling and more fun, quite frankly, as a teenager, to live my way instead of God's way. My plans were much better than God's, obviously. No, Lord, uh, I, I don't want to walk with you. I don't, I don't want to read my Bible, Lord. I don't want to attend church. No, Lord, I don't want to surrender my life to you. And guess what? The wandering continued for years. How about you this morning, Christian? Are you, uh, would you say you are more obedient to God and his word today than when you first believed? Is it possible that the hard times of your life that you've experienced or that you might be experiencing now could be God's way of teaching you obedience? Another reason that God allows difficult times in our lives is to teach us reliance upon God. Verses 3 and 4 show us that. He says, and he humbled you and he let you go hungry and he fed you with manna which you did not know. Nor did your fathers know, in order to make you understand that man shall not live by bread alone, but man shall live on everything that comes out of the mouth of the Lord, by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord. Your clothing did not wear out on you, nor did your foot swell these 40 years. Amazing miracles that God performed in their life. And when they, when they left, left Egypt, they just fled, right? They're like booking it out of there because then they have an army chasing them. So they just let, they just picked, they didn't know, they didn't know how God was going to deliver them. They just, they just know, knew to run, to run. They just ran. And so had this generation of the Israelites, think about this for a moment. Have they just gone from 400 years of bondage in Egypt straight to the promised land, right? A land flowing with every resource imaginable, going from slavery to complete freedom and luxury and abundance of everything. Would they have learned to rely upon the Lord once they entered the promised land? Probably not. They were having a tough time learning it now as it was. It was a land flowing with everything they would ever need. I think God just in his wisdom knew these people need to learn some tough life lessons here about me, about who's providing for them. Because they were about to go into a promised land that God wanted them to be a steward of, spiritually and otherwise. And so God took them to the wilderness, to a place where they had no choice in the wilderness. They either had to rely on God or grumble against Him. Those were the choices. Trust God for everything or die, <laughs> essentially. And guess which they chose? An entire generation chose to grumble and complain a lot. And it says here that God humbled them and let them go hungry God let them go hungry? I think he did that so they would depend on him, not just for food, but for the very life. You literally have to trust God to provide the food to sustain your life. 
And when Moses said that man did not live on bread alone, that's what he meant. Even their food was decreed by God. God literally dropped manna from heaven, just enough for each day, if you recall, to go collect the manna for that day so they'd understand that it's God who's providing, who's keeping you alive, not the bread. And then he goes on to say that not only did uh, he provide food, manna from heaven, to, to sustain two to three million people, by the way, every day for 40 years. He said, your clothes didn't wear out. Your feet didn't swell these 40 years. It's not like there were stores to stop in and pick up new garments or whatnot. Or, you know, uh, there weren't supplies readily available to make things. And so he let them go hungry and, uh, so that he would feed them. And he didn't allow their, their clothes to wear out or their feet to swell. Many of you would be praising God if your feet didn't swell after a week, right? The old foot swelling problems. I don't know about you, but my kids wore shoes out in 40 days, let alone 40 years. That's a miracle, right? 40 years, your clothes, your shoes don't wear out, your feet don't swell. Not one day did they go without. Not one day. Why? Because he wanted to teach them what it means to depend on God. Trust. Look to the Lord for even the, the basic necessities of life. Do we still do that? It's a lesson I don't think you can learn until you experience hard times. Maybe you need to go without food before you learn the lesson that, you know what, God is the one who provides for me. I don't think they would have learned that lesson had they not gone through this experience of the wilderness when you're in a land flowing with milk and honey, right? Jesus, when he was tempted by Satan in the wilderness, if you recall, in the wilderness, Satan comes along and he tempts him to turn rocks into bread. And guess what he quoted? this passage. It is written, Jesus said, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord. We realize the Bible tells us that it was the Holy Spirit who sent Jesus in the wilderness to be tempted, right? For 40 days. Would we ever, ever fathom that a good God would direct us to a place of isolation and a place of need? Would, would God ever direct us to a place of needing something, to go without something like food? Would God allow me to go hungry? Surely not, right? We always, the automatic answer, oh no, God would never let someone go hungry. I think Jesus learned the same truth that God was teaching the Israelites Life is from God and everything we need for not just surviving, but thriving comes from God. I say that because uh, Jesus learning obedience is what we see in Hebrews. Hebrews 5 tells us, during the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission, his obedience. 
So, though a son, though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered. This concept of Jesus learning is hard for us to wrap our minds around. But if God taught Jesus to learn obedience and a reliance upon him, do you think he wants to teach us that? Maybe he's trying to teach us dependence on him and our difficulties. And I think the key is when those hard times is to respond with, Lord, I have no idea what you're doing in my life right now. It doesn't seem good, and it's hurtful, it's painful, and I don't even know how you're going to deliver me. But I will trust you. I will depend on you. You are my rock in my fortress. In you will I trust. There's a final reason this morning that I think God was taking them through the wilderness, and that is to warn us against defiance towards God. Verses 5 and 6 say, So you are to know in your heart that the Lord your God was disciplining you just as a man disciplines his son or a father his son. Therefore, you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God to walk in his ways and to fear him. We see that the Israelites did their wandering in the desert because of disobedience. That's really why they're here. And the very reason that they're here is because God told them 40 years earlier, go in and take the land that I've given you. And they said, no way. Right? Remember that? God told Moses uh, to send 12 men in to spy out the land. I think it was God that told them that. I have to... Fact check me on that. They sent 12 men in to spy out the land. 12 men went to spy out Canaan. 10 were bad. 2 were good. Me and Phil, we're the only ones that know that song. 10 were bad, 2 were good. And so if you recall, ten, uh, 8 of the, uh, t- oh, sorry, 10, I can't do math either this morning. Ten of them, ten of the twelve, came back and said, no way, I don't care what God said, we can't do it. There's giants in there. We're like grasshoppers compared to them is actually what they said. So they were afraid, they were discouraged, and they decided not to take the land. Oh, no big deal, right? Here's the problem with that. God was very clear when he told them what to do. Deuteronomy chapter 1, see the Lord your God has given you the land. He's given it to you. Go up and take possession of it as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, told you. Don't be afraid and don't be discouraged. Unless by popular vote you decide there are giants and you can't do it, then I'll be understanding. Uh, Wait, that's not in there. It's verse 22. That's not there. Pretty clear? Pretty clear instructions. I don't see any room, wiggle room here. So maybe you think, well, you know, come on, God. I mean, right? Who wouldn't be afraid in that situation? Well, we've got to keep in mind, this wasn't the first time they chickened out. 
This wasn't the first time God proved himself to the nation that he can and will do what he says he will do. He's promised this. So in effect, what the Israelites were saying was, we fear the giants of Canaan more than we fear you, Lord. We fear what they might do to us more than what an all-powerful God of the universe might do if we disobey Him. That's what they were saying. And what that comes down to, folks, in a word, is faith. God required faith, trust. And I think that's what God still requires. You see, God was carrying out His plan for the nation of Israel. And guess what? God was going to accomplish His plan with or without them. This is what's known as an unconditional covenant between God and the nation of Israel. God promised that He would give this land to the nation of Israel, and their faith in God to come through on that promise determined whether they would get to enjoy the blessings of the land or die in disobedience in the desert. So it was on them. God was still going to do it. Do you want to be part of the blessing? It was their lack of faith that, that provoked the righteous anger of God. In Numbers, we see that. Numbers 14, the Lord said to Moses, How long will this people spurn me? <laughs> How long will they not believe in me? Despite all the signs which I performed in their midst. Wearsby tells us this passage intends to show that the people failed to inherit the promised land and hence died in the wilderness without inheriting the blessing, not so much for a specific act of disobedience or for fear of the battles that lay ahead, but rather for the simple fact of their unbelief. They failed to trust in God. They disobeyed God. And so God told them that they would wander in the desert until the disobedient generation, which then a generation was everyone the age of 20 and older. You will wander this entire generation until you die without entering the promised land. And defiant disobedience always leads to wandering, and wandering always leads to missed blessings. Have you seen that play out in your life? Sometimes God uses hard times to discipline us like a father does a son. That's what he says here. And we're blessed to be called children of God. God is our heavenly father. We're adopted into the eternal family of God. But that now means that we have a loving heavenly father who is passionate and zealous for us and for his plan for us. He's always working in us and through us and in our circumstances to produce holiness in our life. But not only that, God's working in us to lead us into an abundant life. Jesus promised that you may have life and you may have life to the full or abundantly. That's why He came. So as a loving Father who's passionate about our holiness and about His glory and about us experiencing the abundant life He has provided for us, should we not expect Him to discipline us when we get off track? 
Wouldn't that be the loving thing to do? To be disciplined? Because discipline is a sign of love. My, my parents uh, disciplined me early and often. I thank God for that. I mean, it didn't work real well in my teen years, but... I learned a lot, I did, and I had a great upbringing. It wasn't my parents' fault. But I think, parents, when you discipline your children early on, you're teaching them the importance of obedience so that they will enjoy life. Life is not fun, and it's really hard when you're a disobedient person, right? Trouble awaits. Miss blessings await. And so if you teach them early on just to obey... They will enjoy life. That's good parenting. If a parent refuses to discipline a child, what happens to the child? They grow entitled. They get spoiled. And they are unprepared for life, and they will struggle for years and maybe even their entire life. Israel's reputation was just that. They were a disobedient people. God calls them stiff-necked all the way into the New Testament. Hard-hearted. They knew they were God's people. They knew what God wanted them to do. They even agreed to do all that God commanded them to do. But then they hardened their hearts toward God and they refused to obey what God had told them to do. And I just, I guess I, you know, working this out in my own personal life, I just feel like until we actually demonstrate to God through history in our life obedience to what he is doing, to what he said, that we get it. Yes, Lord, I get it. Not with our mouth, but with our life. There's just going to be more hard times ahead. We may continue, continue to, to wander in the wilderness of life until we learn obedience to trust God and not to defy God. And until we do that, I don't know that we'll ever experience the, the promised land, so to speak, the abundant life. We're missing out. It's available to all of us. Christian, have we forgotten that God is good and that He's a good, good Father? He loves us. He has good things for us. He's never out to harm us. He's, he's made so many promises to us in his, in his Word. And He has a purpose for our life. He's a purpose for our church. And He's given us all of this, His Word, to lead us into that abundant life. I think so many Christians see the Bible as just a book of do's and don'ts. Here's all the things you should do. Here's all the things you don't do. When in fact, it's, it's God's love letter to us. It's our Father's love letter to us. And so we can't forget, lest we forget that God is good. He rescued us from sin. He gave us a new name. He gave us new life. He gave us a new hope and a new future. Amen? These are the things that God has done. Can we take some time this morning to praise God for His past deliverances in the hard times of our life? I mean that literally. I want to take just a few moments this morning, and uh, let's just have a little bit of a Thanksgiving service, shall we? 
And we'll do this again next week, but I want you to be thinking about maybe just a, a one-sentence uh, expression of, of gratitude to God for a past deliverance that God has brought you through. Will you think about that for a minute? And then I want you to stand and just share that, a sentence or two. And I'll go first. First of all, my salvation, God delivered me at the age of 10, I, I believe I was 10. God delivered me from the consequences of my sin and gave me new life in Christ and an eternal home in heaven. Amen. Isn't that great? God's rescued me a lot in life. Uh, as a child, God rescued me from a sexual abuser. I've mentioned that to you before. That's important to remember. God delivered me from that situation. It doesn't always happen that way. God delivered me from a life of rebellion and wandering through my teen years. I was hard-hearted, guys. I didn't want anything to do with the Lord as a teenager. Guess what? I'm a pastor today. <laughs> so God delivered me. God protected me at 19 years old through an entire year of incarceration. I don't know if you know much about being incarcerated. Most of you are inmates, I can tell by looking at you. But uh, it's one thing to be locked up in a county jail, and it's relatively safe. But when it, actually, I was just thinking this morning, I am 50 now. I turned 20 when I was incarcerated, was 30 years ago. Uh, I was, I was sentenced to prison, and I went to a maximum security prison. And you think that I look pretty old now? Think about how old I looked when I was 20 years old. Do you think uh, a young, uh, smashingly good-looking blonde guy like me, <laughs> how does that person fare in a maximum, level four maximum security prison? walking the same aisles with murderers, rapists, lifers. That's where I was. And guess what? I never got touched once. I never got abused. I was provided for, and then God delivered me. If you know anything about the prison system or about what happens in... Thank you, God. God saved me from a, a suicide attempt at 20 years old. You think, you think uh, being in prison would be tough and scary, and it was. And then after I got out, I was, just, I was just as lost and broken as before I went in. And I, I wanted the hard times to stop. What's the best way to end a hard time? End your life. God save me. I should be I should be good.
God saved my marriage. I shouldn't be married today. Uh, just a few months, a couple months after we married, it was not good. And we were going to divorce. But God, God showed up and he rescued my wandering heart. Sorry. Your turn. What he's done. What has God done? How has he delivered you? To stand and share anything that God's uh, reminding you of right now. Remember. Remember. Call to remembrance. Even if it was 40 years ago, 30 years ago, whatever. Amen. Amen. Amen, Margie. Praise God. Thank you. So many things. Anyone else? Amen. Don't be afraid. This is, this is where we do this. Amen, Peyton. We're thankful you're here, too. What are some deliverances that God has provided you? How has God rescued you in life? Obviously, our salvation is paramount, but anyone else? I just want to give you a few moments to just thank God for anything that he's rescued you from in life. That maybe you just want to publicly proclaim today. Amen. Thank you, Shayla. I'm thankful, too, that God delivered you. We'll pick this up next week. We're going to do this after next week's message as well. Next week, we're going to look at the danger of forgetting God's gracious provisions in the good times of life. Because we kind of have a problem with that, too. When things go well, God tends to get left out, right, in the in those occasions. Father, thank you for this morning. What a, what a powerful uh, text and account of you rescuing your chosen people from centuries of slavery, bring, taking them to a land flowing with milk and honey, but they grumbled and complained. They missed it. We are just like them. We are too prone to wander. We are too prone to complain and to grumble. We do it every day. When times get hard. So my prayer this morning, God, is for all of those that have experienced a difficult time. Maybe there are some that are going through a difficult time. Help us not to lose sight, God, of the ways that you've delivered us before. You've always been faithful. You've never let us down. You can be trusted. Help us, God, to demonstrate that we've 
we've learned, we're learning. I don't know that you ever learn fully, but we learn God through the difficulties to trust you, to rely on you, to obey you, and to not defy you, God. Help us to be a grateful people, a thankful people, that our life would be a a living testimony of thankfulness for you, our amazing, loving, gracious God. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ, our rescuer, our savior, our Lord. Amen.